welcome back to the Turning 30 podcast, a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, life coach Emma Wilson, and I'm here to help you feel better, get unstuck, and be more confident in your 30s. If you're listening to this episode in real time, then I'm currently taking a very short break away from my podcast mic to embrace my own next chapter of becoming a mum. I'm still keeping the podcast running and I'll be back very shortly, but I am releasing a series of encore episodes. So these are some of my most listened to episodes over the last couple of years that I know will delight the ears of those of you who've never heard them before and will also be a great refresher for those of you who may have heard them when they were released months or even years ago and now you get to enjoy them all over again. I just want to remind you that if in the episode itself, specifically in the introduction, I refer to any group coaching openings or one-on-one coaching offers, these are currently not relevant as I'm currently taking a little break from live coaching. However, you can still check out my courses which are still running and still available for registration. All of the details are on my website, www.turning30coach.com. 30 the numbers 30 and also you can just click through to the show notes for details there so I really hope that you enjoy this episode and I look forward to returning to the mic very soon I'm really excited about this week's guest episode attachment styles and specifically anxious attachment style is something that is having its moment in self-development. I'm sure that most of you have heard about it, if not have read about it and have explored it for yourself, whether it be in a relationship or in dating or reflecting on a past relationship. It is something that for me, I really had a homecoming with it. I really had a an awakening when I discovered anxious attachment and how it was affecting my relationships and how I could actually start to heal it and create a new reality for myself. So when I had the opportunity to interview this week's guest, who actually is the host of one of the top podcasts all about attachment styles and uh, specifically talks a lot about Uh, insecure anxious attachment I just knew that so many of you would resonate with the topics that we spoke about and also really resonate with the fact that it's an open topic and it's not trying to put people in boxes and labels and categories which I think can often happen when we're speaking about attachment styles So I'm really excited to introduce this week's guest. Before I do, I just wanted to remind you that I think when this episode gets released, there's about 10 more days, maybe even less because February is a short month to get the special launch offer of my next chapter in love course. The next chapter in love course is going to teach you the most healthy and productive way that you can go out and get the love life that you want but how you can do it from a place of self-awareness and a conscious and mindful mindset so that not only can you date in your full self-worth and meet someone and really be able to have an open connection with them and that can develop into a partnership and a healthy relationship, but that you can also do it from a place of enjoying and embracing being single in your 30s, enjoying where you are right now and actually saying goodbye to these unnecessary and fictional timelines that are put on us that we have to have done certain things by a certain time by a certain age 
So this episode is another relationship-focused episode. If you're feeling like you want to do this healing work, the amazing thing about attachment styles is it's relevant no matter what your love life is, no matter whether you're single, whether you're just out of a new rela- a relationship, sorry, in a new relationship or you have been in a long-term partnership, there's always room for growth when it comes to attachment styles. And it is something I also speak about in the next chapter in love course. Go and check out the next chapter in love course. It's self-study modules is about 26 videos with my process of how to build your next chapter in love notion templates where you can do the coaching exercises and tools an exclusive facebook community where you can coordinate and be coached by me directly and also live workshops pre-recorded live workshops on key turning 30 coaching concepts so loads of goodies all packed into my course and the options for buying it are either uh, the launch price offer which is $299 or you can split it into three payments of $100. So basically for $100, you can already go and start building a better love life. Let me introduce to you this week's guest. Stephanie Rigg is a relationship coach and she is host of the On Attachment podcast, whose work focuses on supporting individuals and couples to better understand their insecure attachment patterns so that they can create healthy and secure relationships. Her signature program, Healing Anxious Attachment, has helped over 1,500 people on their journey of overcoming anxious attachment. I'm so excited to welcome Stephanie to the podcast. Hey, Steph, and welcome to the Turning 30 podcast. So happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I love the topic of attachment. It's something that has helped me so much in my dating journey in my 20s. I'm 30s and I'm really excited to dive in. Now, I really want to hear a little bit about you and your journey to becoming a relationship coach that's really focused on attachment and your amazing podcast all about this topic. But before we do, I think that there's potentially some people listening who don't necessarily know what attachment theory is. So if possible, can we just start by having a little explanation, just a short background to to what attachment is. Yeah, absolutely. So attachment theory has been around for a long time, sort of since the 1950s. It originally was explored in the context of infant caregiver relationships. So it was very much in the realm of developmental psychology. More recently, and I think what most people would be familiar with is it's you know, expansion into the world of adult romantic relationships and its application to that. Uh, and that's really had a massive uptick in popularity and in, I think, like the the general psyche in recent years in particular, such that, you know, if you're scrolling social media and stuff now, I think that, I mean, unless your algorithm looks very, very different to mine, you've probably come across some sort of attachment content, right? So at its core, the way that I really like to explain attachment theory and attachment styles is that it's essentially describing, you know, what types of things we're likely to find stressful in a relationship and how we manage that stress and those strategies that we've used. And, you know, a lot of this is, you know, originates in our early relationships. So that's kind of the link with the infant caregiver stuff that originally gave rise to the body of work. But looking at, you know, how our earliest experiences around attachment and relationships subsequently shape 
our development as people, our sense of self and, you know, our expectations of what relationships are likely to be like, including the things that are likely to cause us stress or fear and how we've learned to manage that, you know, over a lifetime. So I think that, you know, when we look at it that way, not only is it, I think it's a little more nuanced than just like, oh, attachment styles. And I think that they can be a little bit, I don't know, sometimes like prone to like a reductive lens or like a little bit too simplistic, a little bit too fixed. When we start to broaden it out and go, oh, okay, like this is a learned set of responses that make a lot of sense in the context of me and the things that I've experienced in my life. And for a lot of people who I speak to, I I work mostly with people who are more in the anxious attachment camp. There's so many people who are like, oh, like, why am I like this? Why am I so anxious? Why do I struggle so much? Like, there's just something wrong with me. It seems to be really easy for everyone else. So like, clearly there's just something kind of fundamentally defective about me when it comes to relationships. And I think that when we can look at it as like, oh, okay, like, why do I struggle with the things that I struggle with? And what might be some healthier strategies for me in working with those fears if and when they arise and getting my needs met, knowing what types of things are likely to be more challenging for me in a relationship. It becomes a little less opaque and it gives us a really beautiful inroad to understanding ourselves better and equipping ourselves with the tools that we need to actually create healthier patterns. I absolutely love that explanation and description because it's so different to Mm. what exactly, like you said, we see these days on social media. I think that, you know, some people, and I actually know this from doing an Instagram poll on my, on my stories, that there are many people who actually replied saying they didn't really understand what attachment theory was, even though they'd heard about it. And I think that because we're just seeing random you know, carousel posts and random graphics on Instagram. Like you said, it's so reductive and it's something that I really try and steer my clients and community away from is putting these really fixed labels. And I think that Mm. what happens, and I think most people listening to this probably would identify more with the anxious attachment. That's just the nature of somebody who's into into self-development. Don't I know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it's like you put yourself in this box and then you label yourself anxiously attached or insecurely attached, you know, something that's basically you start to have this label that something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And then the algorithm picks up on it. And then all of a sudden you're being bombarded with all of this information. Mm-hmm. And I just love how you had described it because looking at it from that point of view, again, with that curious mindset of like, oh, what happened to me whilst, you know, in my childhood or whilst I was forming these early relationships that resulted in my behaviors now just creates so much more self-compassion and yeah. ability to be able to actually say, oh, this isn't a label that I'm, that is something wrong with me. It's just something that is happening, you know, with me that I can actually grow, <laughs> you know, grow and, and also yeah. work on. So I really feel like that description that you've given is actually really different to what we what we see in the mainstream attachment explanations. Yeah, and I I really like the description as well because I think it's universal across the attachment spectrum. So whereas most of the content is very polarizing and again unfortunately it's something that I try and 
fight against in my work, but it sometimes feels like you're like really swimming against the tides. Um, but you know, the kind of demonization of more avoidant attachment patterns, uh, when we can go like, oh, this is actually like, sure, it manifests differently and it can look like you're at total opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of your behaviors, your preferences, whatever. But when we go, okay, what have I learned to expect about relationships? What have I learned to find stressful? Uh, and how have I learned to create safety for myself when confronted with those stresses or those triggers? That inquiry is exactly the same no matter where you sit on the spectrum. The answers are different. <laughs> Um, but the framework's the same. So we go, oh, okay, sure. I might be someone who's more anxious. So I have learned that I can't rely on the consistency of a relationship and a connection. And that makes me really afraid because I really deeply yearn for connection. And so what do I do? I'm hypervigilant and always on the lookout for signs of disconnection or that something's going to go wrong. And I spin my wheels constantly trying to preempt every possible thing that could go wrong and, and trying to prevent that. And I become so, you know, kind of fixated, obsessive about my relationship. You know, that looks very different to avoidant attachment. But, you know, for them, it's like, I am scared of becoming overwhelmed by a relationship. I'm scared of someone needing more from me than I know how to give them. I'm scared of feeling like a failure. I'm scared of, you know, losing myself and having that loss of independence in a relationship. And so when I feel that, you know, that wave coming at me or that intensity coming at me and I don't know what to do and I feel so stressed, so overwhelmed, I feel like someone's going to be upset with me. They're going to be disappointed with me. I feel like I'm always getting it wrong. Why bother? Like I'll just, I'll just distance myself. I'll go back to my form of safety, which is when I can kind of put the walls up or, or just create separateness because that's what I know. And for someone who doesn't really know, part of the kind of origin pattern of avoidant attachment is that they never really had the emotional nurturance to know what to do with their own feelings. And so they kind of switch off that part of themselves when it's very underdeveloped. And so to then be partnered with someone who has really big emotions and is very expressive and know, has high emotional needs and wants a lot of reassurance and validation. For a more avoidant partner, that's like you're asking me to do something for you that I don't know how to do for myself. And so I just kind of become so overwhelmed and shut down. And so I think that, as you say, like when we start to dig a little, there's so much more space for compassion because we're like, oh, we're doing like we're doing things that look really different on the outside, but we're both just trying to create safety for ourselves the only way we've ever really known how. And we're doing that on autopilot until we learn something different. Um, and that's really like what this work provides an opportunity for is like, okay, well, what does something different look like? That's maybe not, you know, cause we're, we're all doing the things that were adaptive in, you know, our family system, but maybe aren't a fit for what we're trying to create in our adult lives. And it's just a matter of recognizing that and going, oh, okay. I might need to upgrade my operating system to be a better fit for like where I'm at and where I want to go rather than just like running the same patterns over and over again and wondering why I'm stuck in the same place or with, you know, dynamics or results that are not really what I'm after. Mm -hmm. Wow. There's so much to unpack there because I really want to hear about what you just said, that upgrading the operating system and I guess how you can work like what strategies you can use to to change and develop and evolve and say 
past your attachment style or, or you know, grow, mm. grow in this way. But something that you just mentioned that is something I've experienced personally in a past relationship and also in dating. And I've know from my own research on attachment style that it's something that's quite common is what you just mentioned about the difference between avoidant attachment style and anxious attachment style and you you explained that obviously like the difference in the ability to hold emotions but also Mm -hmm. mentioned that when they come together that there's a dynamic there there's something about Mm -hmm. you know somebody who's anxiously attached reaching out to somebody who's avoidantly attached and then obviously there's like a uh, dance there could you explain a little bit about that and specifically why I guess anxious and avoidant attachment styles are sometimes really attracted to each other yeah I mean they're often really attracted to each other it's pretty rare that anxious people are drawn to other anxious people or that avoidant people are drawn to other avoidant people I think there is this like you know magnetic opposing forces that for a lot of us there's something in that and I think there's a there's a lot of different layers to it. I think at a, at a surface level, I'd say that our attachment styles are not really in their fullest expression in the very early stages of dating. This is something like I'm always getting asked by people like, how do I spot an avoidant person so I can avoid, you know, avoid them in the dating pool? And as much as I wouldn't really endorse that anyway, because I don't really buy into the like, you know, all avoidant people are bad and need to be like kind of siloed. Even if I did buy into that as a strategy, I, I think that it's important to understand like avoidant people aren't going to be avoiding you on day one, like because really these attachment behaviors are brought out, exacerbated by stress. And so when a relationship's really exciting and dynamic and, you know, everything's happening at the beginning, like it's unlikely that all of the more you know, challenging or typical like attachment behaviors that we associate with these insecure attachment styles, unlikely that they're going to be really front and center. That tends to come a bit later when you settle into the groove a bit more and, you know, the the sheen wears off and you start to have you know, different expectations of the relationship and it all becomes a bit more real. But in terms of, you know, why are they attracted to each other? I think that for Anxious folks, avoidant people can represent a level of confidence that they lack. So, and and I think you can see this on both sides. There's like a sense of puzzle pieces. So I'm drawn to the things that I suppress inside myself or that are underdeveloped within me. So they might see an avoidant person and go, wow, they're so independent and confident and charismatic and they have really good boundaries, really like clear in their worth. And they're, you know, like quite a different energy to what most anxious people would, you know, would describe themselves as or, or, you know, how they relate to themselves. And avoidant folks can see an anxious person who's quite emotionally expressive and, you know, sensitive. And a part of them can be really drawn to that because that's a part of themselves that they've, you know, that they lack or that they've suppressed. And so there can be this you know, initial attraction to those things that they repress in each other, in themselves, sorry. And then I think another layer to it can be that we tend to be attracted to people who reinforce or keep intact our worldview. So, you know, if an anxious person has the beliefs that I'm always more interested than the other person, 
No one's ever going to love me as much as I love them. I have to work really hard to get someone's attention and keep it. And like, that's all kind of normal for me in a relationship. Inconsistency is normal. Um, not knowing where I stand is normal. Feeling like I have to prove myself is normal. Then great. Like all of those tools that you've learned over a lifetime, you're like well-equipped for the environment with a particular kind of person who might lean more avoidant and who might be kind of non-committal or unclear in their communication. Like you've kind of adapted into that. So like you, you feel comfortable in a weird way in the familiarity of that dynamic. Similarly, someone who's avoidant who might have the story of like, relationships are really demanding and people always want more from me than I can give them. And I'm better off alone because relationships are always kind of imposing on my freedom by being with someone who is anxious and who wants to spend all their time together and texts incessantly and, you know, has big emotions and is always upset about something like that kind of keeps the worldview intact, even if it's not like a healthy worldview or, or the kind of one that we would say is like compatible with, you know, secure relationships. If that's your norm, if that's your like internal operating system, then there's a lot of kind of confirmation of that in continuing to date someone who's like kind of mirrors that back at you. So that's like a few different reasons and layers as to why that dynamic can be so powerful but not all of those will apply to everyone, but I think there's certainly something in it because it's incredibly common. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as I was saying before, it's something that I experienced in a long-term relationship was definitely you know, when I discovered avoidant attachment and what that meant. Like when I first discovered the book Attached and read it, it was actually post-breakup. I was like tears because I was like, oh my God, like this dynamic is really playing out. And what you just said, the last point you just said about the confirmation bias, the reinforcing how, basically reinforcing your limiting belief. For me, it was limiting belief about men not being emotionally intelligent or not being able to step up to the to the table and give what I would like in a relationship. It's, it's, it's backwards, but you want, like you said, you want to reinforce your worldview. And it was like, yeah, of course, that's what it's all about. And then I read about it and was like, wow, this is, it, it felt like reading about the relationship. So it's, it's really interesting. Something that you said that I would love to unpack a little bit more was that at the start of dating, and I know lots of my listeners are single and, and dating, that people don't usually show their attachment style straight away. And you specifically referenced avoidant attachment styles, which is true because if avoidant people are going out actively dating, they're not necessarily avoiding on the first and, you know, the first few dates that you go on. But I agree with with anxious attachment people usually don't come on their first dates and say, hi, I'm anxiously attached. Like, nice to meet you. However, from my experience working with clients and also myself in the past, anxious attachment really rears its ugly head in those first weeks of dating, especially if you really like somebody or you're attached to somebody because of the behaviors that we can exhibit and obviously I'm thinking of very obvious ones which is like the waiting for the text back and the the anxiety that can be very induced right at the start so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because I do think that it's something that lots of people struggle with right at the start yeah absolutely and as I reflect it's probably more accurate to say that the avoidant attachment is less likely to be there because 
And it depends on obviously all of this, big caveat to all of this, depends on the person, right? We're not saying there's like three types of people and like everyone under those banners is going to conform exactly to everything that we're saying. But it, it does depend on the type of person. But for avoidant folks, like a lot of the time, I think this is important to understand, like they're not going into it with this like kind of conniving agenda of like, ah, I'm going to like pretend to be really excited about you. And then after a week, I'm going to pull away and leave you hanging because I get some kick out of that. You know, it's people who are genuinely excited. And like, you know, when you have someone responding in that way of like being really excited and then seeming to go from like hot to cold, they probably don't understand that any more than you do. Uh, and so I think for avoided folks, it's because like, yeah, they have this really rose colored view of, of all of it. But then when the relationship progresses, when there's any sort of like closeness and again, like different one avoidant person might have more tolerance for this than another, and they might have different ways of dealing with it. But there can be this sense of like, Oh, I was excited about that. But now I suddenly, you know, without any explanation, I am not attracted to them anymore. Or I actually think they're kind of weird or they just come up with these like very persuasive reasons why it's not a good idea. Uh, and that can totally change their whole perception of it. And, you know, not a good fit. Okay. Better that I just leave it. So for the avoidant person, like it's likely to be a bit more conflicted in those early stages. Whereas as you say, for anxious folks, it's like, you know, all of that excitement and that dopamine and that just like, oh, infatuation, that kind of energy. It just like, there's no cap on it. And so like the more, the better, right? The more connection, the more intensity, like the more that fuels it and the more you want. So whereas the avoidant person might go like, oh, intensity, pull back to come back to my kind of equilibrium, which is in some sort of safety, the anxious person will just keep going and going and going because there's no ceiling to like how much closeness and how much intensity is likely to feel good. And, you know, something that I often find with people is, as you say, in that early stage when there's enough of a connection that you're kind of invested and you're in communication with someone and you've got like enough, you know, buy-in to think like, oh, this could be something, but there's still uncertainty. There's not like clarity around what the relationship is, clarity about where you stand. Is this person still dating other people? Should I ask them? Should I not ask them? Is it too soon? You know, like, should I message them again? I've already messaged them twice. Like just so much mental energy going into all of it, uh, which I think is trying to compensate for the uncertainty that's inherent in those early stages, right? And it's like, ah, and we know that, right? Like anxiety does not like uncertainty. <laughs> anxiety likes predictability and information. And so for folks with anxious attachment in those early stages of dating, which are characterized by a level of uncertainty and a pace that is unlikely to be comfortable for most anxious attachers, it's like, oh, how do I just like skip through this you know, uncomfortable in-between phase, leapfrog us to the part where like we're in a clearly defined relationship and we've met each other's families and friends and like, whew, I'm through the woods. That tends to be like the anxious attachment preference. It's like, how can I jump ahead as quickly as possible? But the ironic thing about it is 
potentially speaking from personal experience is that <laughs> you want to leapfrog ahead but then you get to the next phase and there's always another uncertainty it's like yeah I want to meet the parents and I want to, I want this person to call me their official partner and then they do and it's like okay but like the anxiety then can still come well when are we going to move in together or he's not giving enough time to me or I don't know like when is he going to propose when you know and it's like all of those things and it's mm-hmm. it can be a constant cycle so I think it's really important to remember that that it just it's not just the first few weeks of dating for sure they are very particularly triggering for yeah. somebody who you know like we said identifies more with be- being anxious but yeah it's tiring and and I would love to ask you do you have any advice for somebody who's listening who feels like they struggle to cope with those first few weeks of dating when they like somebody and they're trying to to meet somebody and I love what you just said about how like the mental energy like there's so much mental energy that and so much hyper focus on the other person yeah so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that yeah absolutely I always feel like a a bit of a fraud when I'm giving people dating advice because I've always been in long-term relationships like (laughs) I've and, and frankly like I've been guilty of doing exactly what I'm telling people not to do which is like just moving from one relationship to another and moving quickly but what I will say is, and you can ignore me because what do I know? I think that there's a lot of wisdom in pacing it and recognizing that like, if it's, you know, the right person or it's something worth pursuing, like it's not going to be so like fragile and flimsy that if you don't move at lightning speed, it's going to all slip away. And I think that's the fear is like, unless I lock it down really quickly, something bad's going to happen. That's always like the anxious attachment catastrophe story is like, I'm going to lose the connection if I don't control the connection. (laughs) Yet I know from experience, it sounds like maybe, you know, from experience, I'm sure a lot of other people know from experience, that's a very exhausting strategy because like, okay, if I have to like hold on for dear life and grip and cling and control in order to feel safe, like I never get any rest from that. Because as you say, that the bar is always being raised, the goalposts are always moving. If it's not this thing, it's another thing um, because we're looking for like some kind of reassurance that's going to fill that void that's going to make us feel like, okay, now I'm safe. Um, and, you know, when that's being driven by a part of us that has a lot of fear and anxiety and that that hasn't been tended to, like it's kind of like a bottomless pit and so many people will relate to that, right? Like you ask your partner for reassurance, they give it to you and you're like, mm, I don't believe you, right? <laughs> like mm, you didn't say it right or if you really meant it, I shouldn't have to ask or all of these things and it's just like we can't actually receive any of it and we, we miss a lot of the good that's there because we're so fixated on, you know, being alive to anything bad that could happen and like plugging every little, you know, leaky hole in the boat before the ship sinks because that's so terrifying. So you know, having a level of trust in a connection and that, you know, of course is easier said than done because at the heart of anxious attachment is I can't trust in the stability of a connection or the reliability of a connection. I value connection so highly, but it's never clear to me if or when it's going to be taken away. And so I just have to stay close all the time so that I have that certainty and reassurance. Um, But having a level of trust in that, a really, really big piece, and this is for anxious attachment kind of growth and healing more broadly, is self-worth. It's just like if I could 
and it's a huge focus of my work kind of ironically because people with anxious attachment are like okay you have to help me fix my relationship and I'm like okay let's stop thinking about the relationship for a second and talk about you because you know everything that I've just said around like I need to get this person to do or say or be whatever will make me feel safe is not a sustainable strategy it's just putting so much of that outside of ourselves in a way that will never ever fill that void and so actually recognizing that so much of your work if you're someone with more anxious attachment patterns is like learning to like yourself <laughs> frankly like learning to see that like oh wait I'm I have value I don't need to convince someone that I have value I can actually work on seeing and believing that for myself and building like a sense of self-respect and kind of knowing myself and being you know, broadly comfortable with who I am. I always, I have a bit of a gripe with like self-love as the goal because I think for a lot of us that's like just feels a bit too abstract and far away from where we're starting. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with self-love, it's just not relatable for a lot of people. So it's like, can I get kind of comfortable with who I am such that like I don't need you to tell me that I'm enough in order for me to feel okay or, or such that, you know, if someone doesn't want to go on a second date with me, it's not because I'm not attractive enough or not smart enough or I said something weird or they don't think I'm interesting or there's probably some other person who's better than me. Like all of those things that just flood in and totally, you know, weigh us down at just like this burden of shame and unworthiness that, invariably then feeds into the next interaction and the next one and we're coming from that really low starting point that makes us really susceptible to you know all of the same things over and over again and so we find ourselves in this rinse and repeat of painful patterns so I think the self-worth piece is really huge I really agree from my own experience of you know what we were just what you were just saying about when you hyper focus on the other person in the first weeks of dating and then it becomes what I always call like pick me pick me pick me and something happens in that space where you forget that you have a choice that you don't just want to be picked you also need to be doing the picking and I think that also that like feeds into a lot more like nuance in the dating landscape now of there being a lot more single women in their 30s which is obviously you know what I, who I work with mostly and that feeling of being like okay you know I really want to meet somebody biological clock's ticking I'm just going to you know that the mentality that I'm obviously super against of settling and then what happens is you go out and date and then you're like pick me pick me pick me and then obviously you know you forget to actually look at this other person and think okay is this person suitable for me is this do we have much values you know all the things to take yeah. into account and yeah, like I, I want to add from my own personal experience that really staying present, 100% what you said about self-worth is like the, the top thing. And also just, yeah, remembering that you're not there just to be picked. You're there also yeah. to go out and find somebody who who is a good match for you, not just anybody who will love you, which I know that obviously yeah. people who identify as anxiously attached can sometimes forget. Yeah. And I think that, again, like the, the low self-worth, that starting point for a lot of people means like you're invariably putting anyone and everyone that you meet on a pedestal because you see yourself as kind of down here. And so th there's no sense of 
balance and mutuality and like, oh yeah, wait, I have like as much of a say in this as you do. There is very much that tendency to just forget what you're doing other than like, can I make this person fall in love with me? How can I be as attractive as possible? And, you know, trying all sorts of strategies to achieve that, which oftentimes are like, just be easy, like go with the flow. Don't be difficult. You know, don't have any needs, pretend to be fine with everything. Just like all of that stuff, which in feigning low maintenance, which is what so many people do at the start to try and be lovable. Cause they think that like to not be low maintenance is to be unlovable. Then it really comes back to bite you because you've got all of these like needs and concerns and worries and preferences that you've just locked away in an effort to be chosen. And then like they all spill out and someone goes, wow, like where did that come from? And has a reaction to it. And then you go, oh, see, I'm not allowed to have needs. And then the story just reinforces and and on and on it goes. And that really, really comes full circle to exactly what you were saying before when we were speaking about how when you first go on dates, you can't see the avoidant style or the anxious style because people who are feeling anxious at the start, it's very much like, anxiety in your own bubble like you know with your, maybe with yourself with your therapist with your coach yeah. with your friends whoever behind the scenes but for sure I call it trying to be an easy breezy cover girl like you go into the totally. dates and you're like no like everything's fine I'm just chilled I'm just the chill yeah, girl you were 45 uh, minutes late no worries it's so fine yeah. I, that's actually better for me <laughs> Yeah, like everything's cool. Like I'm not like I don't have standards. I don't have needs. So that really, yeah, exactly. I just think that's it. Really makes it makes sense what we were talking about before of that. Like when two people who have these two different tendencies go on a date together, you wouldn't notice it at first. It's something that definitely comes out as obviously the relationship progresses and you get to know each other. And I wanted to ask you something which I also get asked quite a lot more from people who are in new relationships from my clients who are kind of in the the first early stages of relationships is is there a good time to talk about attachment style in relationships is there is it something that you should share with your partner and also I guess like I know I'm asking a lot of a lot of questions in one go but you know should we have expectations of our partner to be able to contain for example, our anxiety, like, do we, you know, is it fair to tell the other person, okay, this is what I go through when I am in a relationship. This is what I need you to do right now. Mm. So I think around the, like, think about sharing that. I also get that question a lot, obviously only from anxious people, because I think that's only a, <laughs> a thought and a worry that anxious people would have. I often will jokingly say like, you know, you don't have to disclose it. Like it's, you know, an STI and you have to be very upfront. Like, look, just before we continue with this, I need you to know that I'm anxiously attached. It's not some sort of contagious disease that you need to put someone on notice about. (laughs) Uh, And I think that that is like, it's such a kind of quintessentially anxious attachment thing to want to like, when do we need to have the serious conversation about our attachment styles? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So true. And and I, I don't know that that's really necessary. That being said, like, if that comes up organically or if something specific happens, if there's some sort of rupture, if like if they are late or, you know, there's some miscommunication or something gets triggered within you, then you might use that as an opportunity when you're talking about it and hopefully you do talk about it rather than, you know, plan A, which we just covered, which is just pretend everything's fine all the time. You know, saying, yeah, I, I struggle with 
it's like this type of thing is hard for me. I don't think you have to go like, you know, this is my attachment style. Again, I'll get people saying like, when is it too soon to get my new boyfriend to do a quiz? Like probably just back up a bit, right? Because I think like that can come across as a bit intense, right? And like having, I think particularly with more avoidant partners, we have to be mindful of the fact that they are, you know, like they are demonized in all of this world. Like even if you don't have that mentality personally, like that's out there. I see it all the time and it's frustrating as hell. Like on Instagram, like YouTube comments are just like really hardcore. Like all avoidant people should just like go and die alone because they're so fucked up and they should be in relationships. Like whenever I suggest anything remotely compassionate towards avoidant people or like encouraging people to be curious about their avoidant partner's experience, it's just like the smackdown of people who have a lot of vitriol towards avoidant attachment. And so imagining if like, if that was you and that was the thing you struggled with and you felt really broken <laughs> and you felt like there was something wrong with you in relationships and you're getting all that heat from the internet, having a new partner say like, Hey, I have to show you about this thing. Cause I'm anxious. And I'm pretty sure you're avoidant. That's probably going to send alarm bells off in someone that's like, Oh, I think I'm about to get in trouble. And for a lot of avoidant people that like, I think I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> is very much like a, a trigger, a discomfort point where they're like, I don't like this. And I need to create some safety for myself. Cause I don't want to be lectured to, I don't want to be told that I'm bad. I don't want to be told that I'm the problem. And that's like often the dynamic whether it's, you know, intended or not, I think that's often how it can play out. So just being really sensitive to that. And, and I think like not being super serious about it, <laughs> you know, not like we need to have a sit down and talk about our attachment styles, but you know, if it's something that you're really interested in and you really like personal development work and you find attachment really interesting, I think you can share with someone like, oh, I don't know if you've heard about this, but I really relate to X and, you know, I don't know if you have listened to it, like maybe we could listen to a podcast together or something that's a bit more of a like soft on-ramp rather than when is the right time to sit my partner down and tell them about my attachment style and, you know, inquire as to what level of awareness they have about their attachment style. I think that that can be like more grave and serious than is warranted in most cases. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, so I remember when I first discussed it I don't want to say bought it up with but discussed it with my boyfriend now it was very much from the point of view of I think it was like we were speaking about communication in between seeing each other and I said I think it was something like I didn't try and do the labels but I did say you know sometimes when you don't reply to me for like 10 hours when you're at work for the day it would be really nice if you could check in because I just have a mind that often worries that if you haven't replied to me that maybe you know something's wrong and I know that things are going really well with us but it would be really nice to like hear from you in the day and then that opened like a bigger conversation about communication style which led to talking about attachment styles so yeah. I agree with you I definitely think that there is a is a way to go about it especially if you spot that dynamic that the other person is is avoidant so we yeah. kind of skipped because we got into such a good conversation we skipped at the start your own journey to become 
a, a oh, dating yes. coach and, and, and a podcast host. So you mentioned that you've been in mostly serious relationships and I would just love to hear like what, what led you to this work? You know, what's, yeah. what's your attachment story? Yeah, my attachment story. Where have we been? Well, funnily enough, for like, as I said, I've been in mostly long-term relationships. And the first two, which were sort of ages like 15 to 20 and then 20 to 24, 25, they were like pretty healthy relationships, I think just by pure luck. I mean, God help me if I'd been that age and been in a really awful, insecure relationship. I think that could have been a real disaster. But for some reason, I saved that for my mid-20s when I got into my third long-term relationship, which was well and truly dumpster fire of like, anxious avoidant hell. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about like anxious avoidant dynamics and how that doesn't have to be a death sentence for a relationship. And my partner now, we have a beautiful relationship and you know, he definitely leans more avoidant. I lean more anxious. So like there's, there's ways to do it that can be really healing and beautiful. And there are some expressions of that dynamic that are just like really extremely challenging and hard to move beyond. Let's say I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully. <laughs> anyway, so my, my previous relationship was very much like just unhealthy. I kind of steer clear of the word toxic in most cases, but it was kind of heading that way. Very, very dysfunctional. And it was in that relationship. So I actually used to be a lawyer before doing this and Me too. Snap. Oh really? There <laughs> yeah. you go. Wow. Yeah, it's funny. I was saying to someone the other day, I was on my podcast interviewing someone and I mentioned that and they said that like a lot of people like therapists and coaches that they know used to be lawyers so they really yeah I actually have it a lot with oh, my God. podcast guests yeah mm. I see it a lot when people come on and then they say I was I worked in corporate law and I'm, I'm like oh yeah me too so yeah there, there you go, go. <laughs> yeah so I was an M&A lawyer for a while and then decided that I didn't care about M&A law all that much actually you know I didn't hate life as a lawyer, but I also didn't, it didn't really inspire me at all. And so it was really in that relationship, that one that was really challenging, as I think is the case for so many people who come to this work, they come to it via like their own personal kind of come to Jesus moment of like, what the, what the hell am I doing with my life? And I was, you know, really dove into all of this work in a personal capacity first, just like from this place of desperately seeking answers, you know, classic anxious attachment thing of like, rather than just leaving the relationship that is clearly <laughs> completely dysfunctional and that you're miserable in, read more books about it, <laughs> try and troubleshoot it to death. So I did a lot of that and it sort of coincided with having general thoughts around career change. And I, I think I sort of reached the point of like, as a lot of people will do, particularly with law, and I'm sure it's similar with other corporate paths, it's like, oh, do I do something that's just like not private practice law but kind of some other corporate thing that's adjacent to that or do I do something that is a bit more rogue? And when I kind of broadened out the possibilities and asked myself like what would the thing be if I was going to do something that I really wanted to do and it was – this, not exactly this, but kind of relationship coaching. And so I started looking into that and all of the different avenues and enrolled in a certification and quit my job soon thereafter and, and kind of went from there. And, and really the attachment stuff 
I'm not sure how your path into all of this began and like kind of the niche that you occupy now really like when you're first starting out for me at least as a relationship coach it's like you know just throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks in terms of the content that you create and it became apparent after posting a bit about attachment that I was like oh that's the thing that people really are responding to and that like clearly is landing for people in a way that's quite impactful which was lucky because I love talking about it and so it kind of all went from there and yeah it has has been pretty wild since then it's it's all grown very quickly I launched my podcast 18 months almost two years ago now April in 2022 and yeah it's it's been pretty incredible to see how much it's all grown well, I do think it's because of the popularity of yeah. attachment styles in general over the past I would say I think I discovered it just post my breakup which was almost four years ago now that was yeah. the time when I first you know I've obviously I, I before law studied psychology and I knew a lot about attachment styles you know the original research and and from yeah. my original degree and then I am somebody who's really into social psychology and social connections and, and research and things and but I feel that even as somebody who had learned all of those things, I didn't necessarily understand, I hadn't heard about attachment in dating or attachment styles in adult relationships. And it was definitely a new wave of information that was coming out about it in the past four or five years. So yeah. it makes sense it's, really that it's something that people are now really interested in because it is relatively new as a field to, to, yeah. to discuss. Well, it's wild the number of therapists that I get reaching out to me saying like, do you have a training program for therapists? Because we did like, you know, one short one hour lecture on this in my whole like tertiary education around, you know, and I'm a therapist now and I see the value in this and I learned so much from your podcast and all of my clients really want to know about it, but I haven't been trained in it. So I think that's probably true that it's not, I mean, maybe that's changing as it becomes more in vogue, but I think that it's certainly this like kind of adult romantic relationship limb of it is um, clearly not like foundational in a lot of therapy training. So yeah, which is crazy when you think about it because it's it's so linked to to psychology. Something that I actually I just want to ask before before we finish is your opinion on something that I. I formed from my own experience and it's definitely not a professional opinion but can your attachment style really differ depending on the dynamic of the relationship like who the other person is and what their attachment style is because I did a lot of work on my my mindset in general about dating and within that the anxious attachment that I often saw at the start of relationships and then in my now relationship I see that sometimes our dynamic is the opposite of my old dynamic. So my current partner, I think if we had to categorize, would probably be securely attached, but sometimes also has anxious tendencies here and there, which is something really new for, for me that I've never really experienced before in dating. And it sometimes makes me appear like the more avoidant one. And it's just been really interesting part of my journey to see that, you know, the dynamic and the, like I said before, the dance that we do with the other person it can really depend on on the situation and also it really opened my mind to not having labels because it was just yeah. more about the people and the relationship rather than the category 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's, it's kind of like, as you say, like an energetic dance and the reality is for most people, as we've talked about, like you'll tend to seek out the same kind of person. So you will experience yourself as kind of fixed in your box. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm always anxious. But it's like, well, am I always anxious or am I just always on the other side of avoidant attachments? So like anxiety is a natural response to avoidance. Likewise, avoidance is a natural response to anxiety and anxious attachment. You know, I was having this exact conversation with another relationship coach the other day and saying that you know, sometimes I don't know what your DMs look like, but sometimes I'll get DMs that are like pretty intense, like people that I've never had any contact with and like pages and pages and pages of this like big emotional dumping thing. And then like, you have to help me. And, you know, no disrespect to those people, but to have, kind of be inbounded with that kind of energy, it's amazing how avoided I feel in response to that. I'm like, I want to throw the phone to the other side of the room and run away, right? Which is not my natural response. But when you feel like you've got that like onslaught of intense emotional kind of grabbing desperate energy, you can feel like very suddenly overwhelmed and want to create distance and go, oh, I don't want that in my space because that feels like it's smothering to me. And I actually think it's really beneficial for people on both sides of the spectrum to have experiences of the other, to go like, oh, yeah, I can be avoidant in certain circumstances when I feel overwhelmed. You know, some other examples is like you might find that you're more avoidant with family rather than anxious with family, right? Like I wouldn't say I'm avoidant with my family, but I'm certainly not anxious with my family. And if anything, I would be more likely to, if my mum sends me a text and I don't respond for it, you know, 12 hours and then she follows up and it's like, are you ignoring me or something? And it's like, oh, you know, just <laughs> again, not something I would ever do in a relationship. I'd always respond very quickly in a relationship, but in, in different relationships, you might notice yourself exhibiting different traits. And I think it is really like a dialogue of energy. And so I think that what you describe makes a lot of sense against that backdrop, that it's kind of this contextually responsive thing. And it just so happens that for most of us, romantically at least, we tend to be attracted to the same type of person. So we tend to be more or less consistent in you know, the way that we show up and the strategies that we use. But that's not a fixed part of us. It's just that we find ourselves in the same context over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that idea. That's something that I have discovered. And obviously you've just reinforced now that it's not fixed. Like you can always work on it. You can always work on your mindset, your beliefs, your attachment style, the dynamic in a relationship. So yeah, thank you so, so much Steph for coming on. I feel like it was such a refreshing way to look at attachment styles that I've never like had such an in-depth conversation about it before. So really grateful and appreciative. And yeah, could you just let the audience know if they want to learn more about attachment styles and in healing and your coaching work, where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You can find me on Instagram at Stephanie underscore, underscore, two underscores, rig, R-I-double-G. My website is stephanierig.com. But probably the best place, place to find me is my podcast, which is called On Attachment. And I have weekly episodes there and there's a big backlog of previous episodes if you want to dive deep. But that is probably the best way to get acquainted with my work as that's where I'm most active. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. And I'll see everybody on the podcast next week.